You're listening to the Lompoc Foursquare Church Podcast. Uh, I want to talk to you today about the story behind the story of Christmas. And before I do, I wanted to simply say that, uh, what are you looking for this Christmas? Last week we talked about Christmas is a time where where there's people we can't control, there's problems we can't fix, there's expectations we can't meet, and sometimes we're the problem that people can't fix, sometimes we're the person that people can't control, Uh, amen, come on. Uh, And we know that when Jesus came, they wanted a king, the people of Israel, they wanted a king to wipe out Roman oppression and to change their economy, and he wasn't just the king of the Jews, he was the king for all humanity. And so their agenda and their preconceived ideas weren't met. We said this last week, you can write it down again if you would, that Christmas is not about what is happening, but about what happened. It's not about whether or not, you know, Uncle Joe is coming to Christmas or, you know, or, or you've got the in-laws coming who happen to be outlaws and, and uh, difficulties, or maybe you can't, you know, you look at the, the, the list of your kids or grandkids and their wants and you go, my goodness. Uh, It's way beyond my capacity to purchase all that stuff. And so we can have expectations that aren't met, but Christmas is not about whether the the weather is right or the decorations are right or the meal is right or whether we're with people or whether we're alone. Christmas is about what already has happened. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you can remember a time where you bowed your head or you raised your head and you gave your life to Christ, you prayed some kind of prayer, dear God, come into my heart, Jesus Christ, be my Savior, forgive my sins, Uh, I say yes to your invitation of of you being my Savior and my King, Lord, have mercy on me. Uh, How many can remember you doing that? You can can remember, okay? Uh, For those that didn't raise your hand, uh, we'll give you opportunity at the end of the service to do that, or or to pray for your fatigue that you couldn't raise your arm. I, I get it. Uh, some of you say, oh gosh, he's asking her for participation. I can't do that. But it's okay. You're, you're safe here, I promise. But I would like to ask you this question. Have you uh, disengaged in any way since that time that you prayed? Have you, and, and don't respond, but, but, but have you drifted from God? Or maybe you're in a season where darkness is trying to overcome the light of Christ in your life. I've had those seasons too, and they're real. Where the enemy of our soul whispers things to us, or there are people that come against us, or situations just seem to put us in a in a funk, like this one lady said, or the blahs, or the blues, or whatever it might be that you want to call it. But God is inviting us to re-engage with Him in a powerful way. Now, there's lots of characters in the Christmas story. There's Joseph. There's Mary. There's the shepherds in their fields. There's the innkeepers who had no room for the baby Jesus. And then there's you know, Mary, uh, Joseph, of course. And then there's, there's the donkey and, and, and the Christmas chicken. And, uh, and then there's King Herod. Not a lot of sermons about King Herod. He is the villain in the story. Um, if we were at the melodrama, they would say boo and hiss for him because he's the bad dude in the story. Let me tell you a little bit about the story behind the story. Uh, King Herod was brought in as a contract worker to be uh, king of Judea. 
Rome has asked him to be over the Jews even though he's not Jewish because they know he won't be sympathetic towards the Jews and will work diligently to help get rid of them. Rome was very oppressive, and that's why Israel wanted a king, a Messiah, who would deliver them from Rome. Herod was the king of Judea when Christ was born. He is intelligent, he's talented, he's a builder. He had built uh, aqueducts. He also uh, was a part of the rebuilding of the temple project. So this is somebody that is sharp as a tack, but yet his ambition and his pride got in the way of doing what was best, doing what was right. Now the story of Julius Caesar, anybody kind of remember Julius Caesar? Uh, Julius Caesar expanded the Roman Empire and he's killed about 44 B.C., and his nephew, anybody remember Octavius? Yeah, just say, yes, we remember. Yeah, yeah. I had all this in high school. So anyway, yeah, he became Caesar Augustus. And he had a friend named Mark, Anthony. Huh? And they decided that they would avenge the death of Julius Caesar. So they went out and destroyed as many people as they could that were any way, shape, or form connected to the death of their uncle. And more and more people were having issues with Mark Anthony and Julius Caesar, and they were having conflict among themselves. And there really wasn't room for two kings, just, just for one, one leader of Rome. So Herod chose the side of Mark Anthony, and Mark Anthony's wife was named Cleopatra. Great, you guys are awesome. And they had this thing on TV called Keeping Up with Cleopatra, and uh, people watched it all the time, but they were afraid that she might be queen, and they really didn't like her, really didn't. So over time, Herod had parties with Cleopatra and Mark Anthony. He gave them lavish gifts out of the government's money, and he also uh, helped uh, fund the rebellion that they were a part of, and Mark Anthony and Octavius were at increasing odds. They have a civil war, they make Octavius a senator, even though he's too young to be qualified, and uh, Herod is pushed out. And the fact that he was loyal to Mark Anthony caused him to consider maybe a couple of options. Either I escape and get away from it all, I kind of go underground and no one will notice me, or I end my life. Those are the three options. And so... Uh, Something about his ambition was so powerful that he wants to leave a legacy. And he goes, <laughs> he, he, he goes before Caesar and says, um, Oh, great Caesar, I know that I was loyal to Mark Anthony, someone who was against you. But, 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 but you need to know something about my character. I'm loyal. So I now pledge my allegiance to you. And he bows down in front of him. And so he's now made the king. I mean, this is pretty cool. The king of Judea already, but also Samaria, and now Jericho, and now Gaza. And he's committed to controlling his legacy. So as we pick up the narrative in the, the Bible, King Herod is about 70 years old. And based on Josephus's historical description, uh, and medical experts' interpretation, King Herod was suffering from a painful kidney disease. And scholars also believe that Herod suffered through a lifetime of depression and paranoia. 
And while all this is going on, five miles from King Herod's palace, five miles, a real king is born. Five miles from King Herod's palace, a little toddler is learning how to walk. And he's the king named Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 2, we pick up the story that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who is born, the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to what? We've come to worship him. We've come to this place to worship the king of kings and lord of lords. And in Matthew 2, 3, when King Herod heard this, he was, he was what? He was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. The word disturbed in the Greek means to be totally shaken. To be so topsy-turvy in your life that you can't even make a wise decision. To be confused, to be unsettled. And now the whole city is disturbed because King Herod's about to call in all the leaders. And whenever King Herod called you in, you knew something was going down. Either you would be reprimanded or you would be executed. That's King Herod's style. If you got in his way, he would take you out. Author and professor Brandon Smith writes these words. He says, every one of us wants to be king. Some of us want to be king of the workplace. King of the house, king of our fantasy football league, king of our neighborhood's Christmas light displays. Some of us treat the highway as our own little kingdom, demanding that our minions ask our permission before they change lanes or slow us down. Kings stand above everyone else, receiving praise and reverence from everyone around them. Nothing is withheld from kings, and after all, they never come in second place. They never have to acquiesce to the needs of others. Some kings are found in political arenas. They sit in offices or upon meeting room chairs giving edicts because they want to be the king or the queen. Oh, it's good to be king. Adam and Eve were God's appointed rulers of his kingdom. Unlike most kingdoms we see today, they had all power a king had. They exercised ordained dominance over the territory. They even were allowed to name the animals and to eat their fill. And they had almost no one to answer to. Almost. There was still one king on his throne. And with all their privilege, they still had a restriction. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The king knew that what would happen to them if they ate of that tree. Because he was a good king. One who wasn't domineering, but loving. But they didn't care. They ate its fruit. They lost all that they had been given. And the lowercase t throne was ripped from out from under them. And from then on, human kings didn't stand a chance. Sin had infiltrated the kingdom. The earth, their delegated territory was compromised. We're always... We're always either wanting to be king or we're looking to imperfect people to lead us perfectly. I'll say it again. We're always either wanting to be king or we're looking to, be, uh, looking to imperfect people to lead us perfectly. Our kings never fulfill us. And like Israel, we never look to the king that we already have. The king of the universe our God is perfect, he's just, he's loving, he's merciful, and full of grace. He doesn't barter with lesser kings, he can't be bribed, he's not corruptible, he doesn't just do good, he is 
good. He doesn't just love, he is love. And though we live in constant revolt, lobbing grenades at his doorstep, he loves and he leads. And while he could, he doesn't smite us. He doesn't send us into exile. He welcomes us at his table. He still invites us to come boldly to his throne. So let's go to him. Saying with the wise men, where is he who has been born, the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. He was born to die and raised to reign. He is the king who didn't send orders from his throne, but rather walked into battle for his people. His death was the death of death, and his victory is our victory, and his kingdom is our kingdom. He's the king we need because he's the king we can never be. He's the king we need because he's the king we can never find and we will never elect. Our search was over before it began. He's the answer to every question. He's the king we're longing for and the king that we already have available to us. I love that. Every one of us wants to be king or queen. In Matthew 2, 4, and 6, it says, When he had called together all his people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, Where is the Messiah? It was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet had written. Now, King Herod didn't know this because he wasn't a Jew, but every little Jewish boy and girl knew this. They knew about the prophecies, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And as he gathered the chiefs and the teachers of the law, they were scared. They were now disturbed. I know your pens have been waiting feverishly to write something down. So number one, worship is the correct response to Jesus the King. It is always the appropriate response. Not just at the Christmas season, but always. In Matthew 2, verse 7 and 8, it says, And Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I, too, may go and worship him. And you and I know the story. He had no intention of worshiping Jesus. Rather, he wanted to execute Jesus. Five miles from his palace, the king was born. And this is the sinister part of the story. And after they heard the king, verse 9, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And why I call this sinister is that Jer Herod could have gone with them. Herod could have bowed his knee. Herod could have raised his voice. Herod could have held the toddler king in his arms and said, man, now I'm touching a real king. But he missed it. But oh, these intelligent magi, these well-educated magi didn't miss it at all. And they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. See it. A prayer that says, Lord, come into my heart is obviously the opening. It's obviously the beginning of the journey of faith, but a journey of faith that is engaged with the Lord. 
is always a journey of worship and adoration and surrender. It's like Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us that we, we submit our lives, we surrender our lives, living sacrifices to the Lord. And we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, by the how, how we think and what we believe and what we know to be true. And we, 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 we say to the lies that come from hell themselves, excuse me, I have no time for you. We say to the stories of, of human beings who come with just dirt and filth, I'm sorry, I won't allow that to enter in my ears. But we stop and we recognize that worship is more than just singing songs. See, in the Christian culture, especially in North America, worship has become synonymous with the singing of songs and the playing of music. And sometimes, sometimes with Pandora playing or, you know, XM or Sirius or your favorite K-Love or K-Live playing, we allow other people to worship for us. We go, oh, that's a cool song. I like that. I like that truth. But still, the Lord, according to John that we talked about last week, and we'll talk about again in chapter 4, he's looking for people to worship him. He's on the horizon saying, who will worship me in this Christmas season? Who will bow down and worship the Lord? See, worship is being in the presence of someone that puts you in a place of awe and wonder. Lord, I'm amazed by you. Holy Spirit, you're, you're welcome here, right, right here, right here. Right here, right here. You're welcome here. And worship is our response physically and spiritually to that awe and wonder and to surrender yourself to him. To say, Lord, I will surrender my life to you. Because whenever we try to be the king of our kingdom, a little bit of Herod rises in us. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll get close to God. So maybe I can leverage my relationship with God for God to do something for me. So God will take care of my kids. Or, or God will provide me with a scholarship. Or that God will somehow give me that job. I will leverage my connection with the great God of the universe so somehow he will serve me. And while God is an amazing servant, and Jesus the greatest servant king of all, it really should be the other way around, that I'm here to serve you, Lord. I'm not here to have you do what I need you to do for me or to network for me so I can make contacts and connections and become famous and popular or I can increase my business. Lord, I will give you my life because you deserve my worship. And they worshiped approximately a two-year-old kid who was just learning to walk. And what do they see in him? The promise of God, prophecy fulfilled. And these intelligent men, men, came down and said, oh, how we worship you. You are the king. And how they surrender themselves. Much like Psalm 95, 6 calls us to do. Come, let us, would you read it? Bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And this bowing down has to do with our heart of surrender, but also a posture. That rather than standing up, I will bow down before you to show you outwardly what my heart is doing inwardly. That I will bow down before the king. And Herod is consumed with control. He's consumed with protecting his name and his legacy. 
And he's not about to worship anyone. He wants to be in power. And there will be no surrender here. And so here's the question. And I give talks like this. I, I'm, I'm rarely like in your face, confrontive, but I feel compelled to say there's a little bit of Herod in all of us. Just a little bit. We could say a quick prayer. We could try to leverage God do what we want him to do. Maybe we don't want to bow down to the Lord. Maybe we don't want to worship him like we should. And having been warned, Matthew 2, verse 12, in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. <laughs> Herod says, you guys come back and tell me where Jesus is, right? I want to worship him. They go, no way. They're warned in a dream. They go another way. I think it's cool. He's waiting. When are they coming back? They went a different way. I'm sorry. It's, I think it's wonderful. Because sometimes when you think you're in control, you're really not. But when you think you've got all the power, you really don't. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, hey, by the way, Joseph, you get up. Now, we, we know about the angel appearing to Joseph in another dream where he says, um, by the way, uh, Mary's good to go. She's a virgin. Um, She's going to have a baby bump, but don't worry, because there's been no guy. It's been me. It's okay. And, and Joseph takes care of her. But now there's another dream. He says, take care of the child and the mother and escape to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And so he got up. He took the child and his mother during the night, and they left for Egypt, where they stayed until the death of Herod. And I want to say, Herod, you got played, buddy. Don't you? The Magi, gone. Different exit. Joseph, Mary, baby Jesus, gone. And then in verse 16 of Matthew 2, when Herod realized that he'd been outwitted, outsmarted, outlasted by the Magi at some TV show, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys. Here's a sinister plot. In Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time that he'd learned from the Magi. Herod was so used to controlling outcomes in his life that he was going to do anything to eliminate the Savior of the world. When John writes that Jesus Christ is the light of the world and in him is life and that the darkness could not overcome it, I want you to see one of the first times where darkness tried to overcome Jesus. And God had a plan. Magi, exit stage left. <laughs> Mary, Joseph, Jesus, exit stage right. And it's told us through history that the soldiers, I thought of these soldiers, were given the mandate by their king to go and kill every boy two years and under. And if anyone got in their way or tried to hide the children, to kill them too. This is Herod. But after Herod died, verse 19 and 20, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are now dead. Herod wanted to leave a legacy, but instead he's a footnote in the story of Jesus Christ the King. 2,000 years from now, 
Good, good news, Herod. 2,000 years from now, people will tell your story. Bad news. It'll simply be a footnote, a side character, and the story of a toddler who became the king. You'll not be known as Herod the Great, the builder, the mastermind. You'll be known as the killer of kids, the one who would not worship, the one who would not bow down. Herod was only five miles away from the birth of the Savior of the world, the birth of God on the earth, and he missed it. Does your heart ache for people who will put trees in their house, and lights in their yards, who will sing joy to the world, the, the Lord, the Lord has come? Let earth receive her king and not receive their king? I mean, does your heart grieve for people who, <laughs> who will give gifts and not recognizing that the impetus for giving the gifts is the fact that God gave us the gift of his son and not even get it? I mean, my heart aches for people like that. My heart aches to recognize that there's people who will do everything that's Christmassy but not meet the Christ of Christmas. And it's possible that you have disengaged with him just a bit. And I would just tell you in a loving way, it, it's time to deeply reconnect with him. It's time in our world, I don't think there's ever been a time like this where people desperately need to know Jesus Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit and the truth of his word. John, who would talk to Mary, remember last week that John took Mary home with him after Jesus died on the cross, and Jesus said, um, John, behold your mom, and mom, behold your son. And John had seen the miracles of Jesus, and he sat at the feet of Jesus. He heard the greatest teacher of all time talk about God and life and purpose and what really matters. And John, who was the beloved friend of Jesus, would watch him die and John, who would peek into the empty tomb. And John, who would have breakfast on the beach with Jesus Christ after he rises from the dead. And John would nudge us. And God's Spirit would nudge us. Especially if our relationship has grown cold with the Lord, that it's time to get passionate about God. And some 80 years later, John would tell us that Jesus, number two, Jesus' life and light can become our reality today. Today. In John 1, 4, and 5, it's the verse on the front of our bulletin. It was last week's verse. I'd like you to read this with your best 1010 voice, okay? In him was, and that was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Herod did not win. The Magi won. Joseph won. Mary won. And all who would come and worship and bow down to the King, Jesus has won. This uh, past week, you may have heard, a dear friend of mine, Lineal White, passed away. Lineal was a, a former fire chief with Lompoc Fire Department and gave his life to fire service. He's just a year older than me. And he passed away. Um, they gave him six months to live when they found he had cancer. And 
They lived for two years. Pretty good. And every day he said this, every time I saw him, he says, every day I live, he calls me Pastor Fetterman. Pastor Fetterman, every day I live, I want to be better than the day before. And, and tomorrow I want to be better than this day. I don't want to have any bitterness in my heart. And then, then, then here it goes. And I want tomorrow, I want to be closer to God than I am today. And I thought, wow, that works. One of the most positive, and, I, and I, I've seen many positive people uh, through their bouts with cancer. Ray, Ray down here is one of them. And, but I, I think of, of Lineal White. I mean, the, the guy, come on, Lineal, tell me about your pain. He wouldn't. Tell me about your suffering. He wouldn't. He just told me how great everybody was. And about two weeks before he passed, I had the privilege of going to his house and, and being with his, his wife and sisters. And I won't tell you all that we talked about. Um, but when I knelt down next to him on his couch and got to pray with him, he, he assured me that he knew God and that he knew Jesus Christ, God's son, that he believed in Jesus Christ. And raised a Catholic and a, and a devout Catholic. I prayed a really good Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I did the genuflecting at the end because that's his style. And by the way, God doesn't frown if you make the sign of the cross. Did you know that? There's not one verse that says, do not, therefore, make the sign of the cross. He didn't even say, don't make the sign of David's star. I used to do that too when I was Jewish. Anyway, that's hard to do, you know. You got to be good. You do it with two. Anyway, so but what he said to me was so powerful. Because he wasn't religious. He didn't ride around a fire truck, you know, on the PA system, you know. Give your life to Christ. I mean, that wasn't his style. But, but I, I know that Lineal said yes to the Lord. And, and, and that's what matters. I don't think the Lord, when he showed up to heaven, how many fires did you put out in your illustrious career? How many lives did you save, though he did? How much property did you save, though he did? I just simply think the Lord says, I remember when you said yes to me, Lineal. And when you say yes, that's the most eternal decision you'll ever make. I mean, just think about it. There are people today in North America where we have the freedom of religion and we have Bibles of every style, shape, and size, and language. Internet Bibles, iPhone, smartphone, Android Bibles. I mean, it's ev everywhere. And there are people today who will not bow down to Jesus Christ. But our reality is that in him was life, and that life was the light of men. And notice John says, and it's in your notes, that Jesus was, that's past tense, and that life was, that's past tense, the light of all mankind. But then he goes on to say that the light shines, and that's present tense. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And when you get near the light of Jesus, you will find the life that Jesus comes to bring. And when you get near that light, you'll have to understand, like John, who was exiled to the island of Patmos. And he says, you know what? I, I looked up into heaven. He writes the book of Revelation. This same John, he's an old man now, and he says, I, I looked up into heaven, and the Holy Spirit gave me a vision of what it's like in heaven. You want to know what heaven is like? Read, read Revelation. 
And he says, I saw him on the throne, Jesus Christ. The same Jesus that taught. The same Jesus that turned water into wine. The same Jesus fishes into loaves. The same Jesus who raised the dead. The same Jesus that was humanly born through Mary, this mom that I took home and we conversed about Jesus. This same woman. Her son Jesus, I saw him on the throne. And the angels were around and they were worshiping and they were crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God who was and who is and who is to come. And I saw him as the light of heaven, the son of righteousness, the light, not just of the world, but the light of heaven. And I have to ask you this question, what will your story be in relationship to the light of the world? We know what Herod's story is. We know his legacy. Someday, someone's going to tell your story. What will it be? Oh, well, there was a Sunday school class, and I, I think they bowed their head, or there was a church service, they raised their hand, uh, I think, I think. Oh, they say, oh, man, she made the best casserole in the world. She made the best pasole in the world, the best tamales in the world. Oh, you should have had her cookies. They were awesome. If that's your story, God bless you. What about this kind of story? Everything we know about their life says that they bowed down to Jesus. Every story that we know about the way they lived, every action that they have, even though they messed up, even though they drifted from God, we knew them to be a person or persons that were full of the Holy Spirit and who loved God. See, all the darkness of drifting away or resisting to give your life to Jesus can't push the light away. All the people who say, there is no God, you can't prove him to me. And God's still longing to have his light shine in their heart. Every once in a while, darkness will try to overwhelm your faith, as it does mine. And every once in a while, Darkness will try to push the light away from you, even to have you doubt. But listen, the Magi got it right. That's their story. And when you're in the presence of the holiness and light of Christ, you worship and you engage. And when you recognize that Jesus Christ came to this earth for you and for me, you change your life. It might be changing how you do life at home with people. It might be praying together and reading the Bible together. It might be signing up for the, the soul care retreat. It might be doing the discipleship classes, deeper life. It might be finding a friend and doing your devotions. It might be simple as reading your Advent Bible reading card. If you didn't get one last week, we have them in guest services room. It might be opening your mouth and telling somebody about Jesus. It might be just starting your day, embracing God. Some people say, oh, embrace the day. Go take on the day. How about we go take God on? How about we start our day with the Lord being, being our, our, our king and our shepherd and the one that we surrender to? So no matter what you've done, no matter where you are, no matter how much you've drifted, the Lord has come for you. He is still the light of the world. Now in a second, I'm, I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite you to, to consider re-engaging with Christ and also invite any of you 
who've not come to Christ. Our worship team's going to come back. We're going to sing a song. And while they sing the song, our prayer team's going to come down. And we're going to have communion at both sides of the church. And uh, we have time for this. So don't run out and leave. And if you don't feel like coming down the front, um, you know, you can sing this, the last song with us uh, out of respect to everybody here. And, and just to kind of be quiet, don't be moving around. But I want to give you a moment to think about your story and where you might need to re-engage with the Lord. I want you to think about maybe where you've drifted from God or, or maybe you use God as a leverage point, not really as one where you surrender to. And maybe there's some of you here, you've never ever given your life to Jesus. This is the time. Good morning. This is the time. Why wait? He came. He was born. He lived his life in purity. He dies on a cross. He rises again. That's the gospel. And while he's on the cross, he says, um, Father, forgive. You put your name in there. Forgive Bernie because he doesn't know what he does. Forgive him of his sins. Cleanse him from all unrighteousness. Thank you for listening to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. To find out more about Lompoc Foursquare Church or to watch us live online, please visit mylfc.com.